Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, church family, I need to have a talk, serious talk with you real fast. When we sing a song like Amazing Grace, just one of those songs of our faith, right? And then it gets done, can, can, we don't need to golf clap. We, that was the most pathetic thing I've ever heard right there, right? Listen to what it said. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise God. It's okay to clap. I, I even remember the Bible says, Clap your hands, peoples, all right? So it's all right to clap in the house of the Lord. There is joy in the house of the Lord, not because this is the house, but we are His house, and there is joy, fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. So you got your Bible there with you? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. That's going to be our focus. It says, Now to him who is able... To do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So, let's pray. Father, we come to You and we ask that through these two verses that you would open them up for us to see the beauty that you would want to show us today. Help us to see you. Help us to be in awe of you. Help us to bring honor and glory to you. And help us to be worshipers of the one true living God. And Father, may we seek in our lives, in our church, in our community, country, to bring glory to the name above every name. We pray in, in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, today is called the why behind the what. The why behind the what. So over the past handful of weeks, we've been talking about really the church and the believer's responsibility. What is our job description? And we are to make disciples. We talked about the Great Commission it's our responsibility to make disciples. Not, not just the churches, but every individual who makes up the church. We have on us the responsibility of the Great Commission. The Great Commission was not given to an organization 
uh, or a 501c3, but it was given to people. Followers of Jesus, it was given to them. The church's calling is to uh, help each one of those be equipped to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, so that the church might be strong and the church might be steadfast and the church might be equipped to do all that God has called us to do. That's the church's role in the Great Commission. We talked about unity for a couple weeks and why we need it and what it means and what are some necessary ingredients for unity. And today we're going to talk about the why behind all of that. Now, if you've ever been around a child for more than a few minutes, you've learned that God created children uh, very uniquely, right? And, And God has kind of made it so that children are created to be examples, examples of biblical Christianity. And you read the scriptures and you'll see children all through the Bible that God uses children to illustrate what true saving faith is, right? And so whether it's to illustrate gift giving or the faith of a child or to illustrate how uh, the kingdom of heaven is available to the lowly and the poor and the needy or to teach us how to relate to God as father um, to remind us that when we're saved, we're not just saved as individuals, but we're saved into a family where we are all God's children. And so the, the Word of God teaches us many things, but as a dad, I've learned that children are created with curious minds. Have you learned that? Curious minds. What is the number one question that every child will ask you? Why? Why? So you give a command, and the answer is, Why? You respond to that why with what you think is a very patient and thorough answer, and the response to that follow-up is why. And after two or three rounds of going in a circle around the why and you giving a very patient, good response, the last 17th why you finally say what you vowed you would never say as a parent, right? Because I said so. And it's like the kryptonite to their why, right? Oh man, I no longer have the ability to ask any more whys, but that's, that's kind of how God's made them to be. And now hidden in plain sight in these verses is the why behind everything that we are to do. So you say, why do we do the Great Commission? Why does the church exist to equip the believers for the work of ministry? Why ought we be unified? Why? What is the why behind the what? Because if we don't understand the why, we'll never want to do the what. The why is understanding the why is as important, if not far more important, than understanding the what. If you understand the why, you'll pick up the what. But if you understand the what, you won't necessarily pick up the why. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? All right. So, in this verse, we see the why, and I'll sum it up right here. It, the why behind the what is the glory of God. The glory of God. Now, let's read it again, verse 20. Now, to him... And then there's a parenthetical statement that we got to kind of put in parentheses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you see Paul's why? To him be glory in his church and in his Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. So the why behind the what? So we need to define briefly what is glory. Now, if you look at different words in the Old Testament and the New Testament for the idea of glory, you're going to get a few examples or illustrations. One illustration or example or definition is the idea of worth. The idea of worth. That to ascribe glory to something is to ascribe worth to something. Another idea is that you talk about weight the weight of God's glory. You may have heard that phrase. It's weighty, and you're ascribing weight to it. Or the third thing is you're ascribing worship to that thing. Whatever it might be, that glory would be worth and weight and worship. Isaiah defines it really well in chapter 6. A very familiar uh, passage, but it says it like this. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now just with your holy imagination, take yourself to where Isaiah is seated. Where he is in this very moment. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And what? The train of his robe filled the temple. And I think it's the King James Version that says, fills the temple with glory. And he says, Talks about the seraphim, and, and one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you remember what the seraphim were doing? They had six wings. With two, they covered their eyes. With two, they flew, and with two, they covered their feet. Do you remember that? The glory of God is is such an incredible idea or such an incredible reality that even the angelic beings couldn't look upon it, nor did they feel worthy of being in the presence of the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? John Piper, in, in regarding this passage, says it this way. He says, God's glory is when God's holiness goes public. God's glory is when God's holiness goes public. What did the seraphim say first? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They saw the holy character of God. All of His righteousness, all of His goodness, all of His justice, infinitely in measure, they experienced it day in and day out, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with His glory. And so you see the connection between the holiness of God and the glory of God. It's when it goes public. When God reveals the holiness of His character, that is when the earth is filled with His glory. And in this passage, back in Ephesians chapter 3, we see a promise, and the promise is that God promises to glorify Himself in all the earth. That God is going to be glorified. To Him be glory. To Him be glory. 
Now, from eternity past to eternity future, God has had one aim, one plan, one mind. And His aim and plan and mind is that He would receive glory above all other. His plan was to reveal His holiness in such a way that from all of creation, that the holiness of God would be, that we would glorify Him for His holiness. It's God's idea. Habakkuk says it this way in chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's God's plan from all time past to all time future, from eternity to eternity, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. Why did God create? Do you remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2? The heavens declare the glory of God. What's the purpose of His creation, the inanimate world? It's all to declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Why did He create you and me? Why did He create humanity? Isaiah answers that question. 43 verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Now look at me, lean in close. Let me tell you God's reason for creating you. God did not create you for happiness. The world is going to tell you that you need to pursue happiness, that you need to pursue whatever is going to bring you joy or satisfaction, whatever is going to bring you life. The world is going to give you a different narrative and a different reason to live for, and you will spend your whole life in vain if you don't understand that you exist not for your glory, but for His glory. We have been created for one sole purpose, and it is to glorify God. But the problem is, and it started very early on, just two chapters into the Bible, chapter 3 comes along and sin mars the image of God in man, and it became a competitor for receiving glory. Whether it's, I mean, think about the things that we hear today, whether it's things like this where we thank Mother Nature talk about mother earth or or we we think about another ultimate purpose that we live for whether it's joy or satisfaction whether it's pleasure uh, whether it's success or accolades whether it's security or money or it's bank accounts or rate going up the ladder at work whatever it might be if that is your why behind the what that will rob God from receiving the glory that he rightfully deserves. So you say, why do I exist? God is saying to you today, you exist for my glory. For my glory. Why did God redeem? All right, sin broke it. Sin began to rob God of his glory. And we, as we gave in to sin, we gave our worship and worth and wait to other things in our life. And God says, this is not the way it ought to be. So God sent Jesus to redeem. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us exactly why He redeemed. Verse 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
you were redeemed in order to set back in order what sin disrupted so that you might give ultimate weight and worth and worship to God and God alone, that He might receive all glory in your life. Through what you think, through what you believe, and through what you do. Are you with me, church? This is why we exist. Now, you might say, now, pastor, if this is all true, doesn't that make God kind of an egomaniac? It's a good question. It's what the world would kind of say at this. They would retort that at this idea that he receives all glory. And not only does he receive all glory, but he demands it. Now, if I were saying this about me, I would be, in fact, an egomaniac. But it's not prideful when God says it about himself. Psalm 29, 1 and 2 say it this way. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. For God to say, give me glory, worship me, I am of ultimate worth, value, and weight in your life, it would be prideful, boastful, arrogant, unless it was true. Unless there's one alone that deserves it, and God alone is deserving of glory and worship because God is who He says He is and does what He says He will do. Creation began with angels worshiping Him, and all eternity will continue with the angels and all of creation worshiping Him and giving Him glory. Do you remember the book of Revelation? The multitudes surround the throne in chapter 7 and it says glory and honor and blessing and might and power and dominion be to our God and to Jesus the Lamb. And they never cease to say that in heaven. It begins with glory and it ends with God being glorified. Our purpose here on earth is just that. That we would join the heavenly beings, we would join all of creation, and we would do what we were created to do. Now, that is to give Him glory. To, describe, to say that He is worthy. He is ultimate worth. That the idea of the holiness of God should bear more weight on the believer's life than any other idea in the world. When we let anything in our life dictate how we live more than we let the holy character of God dictate how we live, we have missed the boat. That's what it means to declare that He is worthy and weighty. And our lives exist to worship Him. Now, is worship singing? Am I to walk around everywhere I go singing? Pastor, I can't sing. Worship is little about singing. And everything about the way that we live. Worship, one of the ways that worship happens is through song. And that's why we sing here at church. Because we're saying that God alone deserves our voices and our lives. That we should ascribe to Him glory that's due Him. Because He alone is God. Sovereign, just, righteous, holy, good. And we're declaring that His name alone is blessed. That all the reasons that I'm blessed are because He is blessed. 
And if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll find out pretty quick that in everything that God does, God's going to be glorified. Was God glorified in creation? Yes. Was God glorified in the fall? Yes. Not the act of sin, but what took place because of it. Is God glorified when everything, can God be glorified when everything's going right in your life? Uh Uh-huh. Can God be glorified in your life when you have cancer? Yes. The, the, The fact that God would be glorified is not dependent on our circumstances. Everything, everything that God allows into our life is for the sole purpose of bringing Him glory. I think of it this way. Do you remember, I think it's Acts chapter 12 or 13. James, one of the disciples, is put in prison and he's beheaded. Do you remember that? The church is praying and James is beheaded. And then when, when, I think it's Herod, finds out how pleasing that was to all the people that James was beheaded, he puts Peter in prison. And what's he planning to do with Peter? Behead him. And the church is praying and they're gathered and an angel shows up in the cell, kind of kicks Peter to wake him up. Do you remember the story? Peter wakes up, he thinks he's dreaming, he thinks he's having a vision, and the angel tells him, get your clothes on, let's go. He gets up, cell doors open, they run out, he makes it outside, and then he realizes, I'm not dreaming, ha ha! He goes to the house where all the people are gathered, he Beats on the door. I think her name's Rhodia. The, the, one of the, the servants of the house opens the door. It's Peter. Slams the door. Runs back inside. Tells everybody, Peter's outside. And they're like, she's just seeing a vision. Here's the question. Why, why is it that in one chapter, two people, one circumstance, or the same circumstance, why is it that James is beheaded and Peter lives? We might look at that and go, well, that's not exactly fair. Why is his circumstances, James's circumstances, so poor, but why are Peter's circumstances so great? Why did James not receive a miracle and Peter did? You'd say, whoa, it's because all the people praying. Time out. Don't you think the same people were praying for James? As they were for Peter? And really... Did they believe, the people praying for Peter, did they actually believe that God would do a miracle? No. Because if they did, when Rhoda opened the door, said Peter's outside, all the ones inside who'd been praying would have said, that's exactly what we've been praying for. We knew God would do it. It wasn't the strength of their faith. Now, this is hard. This is hard for us because we don't understand But what is hard for us is that God decided that he would receive most glory from James's beheading and Peter's release. That doesn't seem very fair, though, does it? Because all of us, if we had one of those to choose, we would say, I choose option B, door number two. None of us, yeah, behead me like James to the glory of God. None of us would choose that. 
But God often allows things in our lives, good or bad, and His goal is that we would bring Him glory and that He would receive all glory through it. And the second thing that I want you to see today is God's glory is for our good. God's glory is for our good. It's for the good not just of us, but it's for the good of all creation. It's not to stroke a needy ego. Okay, God's not up in heaven. And we're not like service dogs to a needy God. We're not service creation. We, we, he, doesn't, he didn't create us because He needed something. He was lacking something. And we give Him a service that He does not have in and of Himself. God needs nothing. But, if He didn't create us to stroke His ego, then why did He create us? There must be another purpose. Then this glory thing, this all-knowing God must have created us And that glory must be for our good. It's for our good. Think about it. If it's all about worth and weight and worship, it is for our good that we consider His weight. The weight of God. That who He is and what He has done would weigh heavily on our lives and therefore affect the way we think and live. It is for our good. That we would consider the worth of God. That His worth is transcendent and His worth is ultimate and His worth is eternal and there is no greater treasure on earth or in heaven except for God. It is good that we would worship Him. Do you know we were created to worship? You're going to worship something. And it's for our good that we worship the only one who is worthy of worship. It's good for each one of us. Like Isaiah, when Isaiah encountered the holiness of God and the glory of God, it sent him to his knees to where he cried out, Woe is me! I'm undone! I'm a man of unclean lips! Do you remember? And God sends His angelic beings to come and atone for His sin in that moment. It led to His salvation. Jesus entered the world and John, the beloved disciple in John chapter 1, calls Jesus the glory of God in the flesh. And every human being has longed and searched for the why behind the what. Every one of us. What's my purpose? What is weighty? What is worthy? What is valuable? What is worthy of worship? And we will all find an answer to any of these questions. And even in the church, we'll find whys that don't deserve to be whys. But if our why is not God's glory, our why will fail us and betray us and leave us empty. Young people, cadence, graduating, you're looking for what in the world is God doing in my life? Why am I branching out from my parents, going to get an education, going into whatever career path I'm going? I just want to... If I can keep you out of the ditches that I have fallen into, it's not for your success, but for His glory. Live your life, young people, for the glory of God. Live in retirement for the glory of God. Otherwise, you'll be empty. 
you'll say, that thing that I was living for, it betrayed me. It didn't, it couldn't, it wrote a check, but the account couldn't hold up. Like, like Isaiah, when God's holiness is revealed to us, it changes us. Think about it. You remember Peter? What happened when Peter, the first time he saw the miracle of God where Jesus calmed the storm? Do you remember? Peter hit his, hit his knees. He says, depart from me. I'm a sinner. The disciples, the demoniac. What did the demoniac do when Jesus shows up in the gatherings? He runs and falls down before him. Have mercy on me, son of the most high God. The woman at the well. When she came in contact with the holiness and the glory of God in the face and person of Jesus Christ, she's changed. The woman caught in adultery. When she came in contact with the holiness and the glory of God, she was changed. Like Saul on the road to Damascus, when Saul came in contact with the glory of God and the holiness of God, he was changed. It transformed their lives. Listen to me. In the glory of God, understanding that God's glory is for our good, understanding that they found their purpose in the glory of God. They found their size in light of the weight of God's glory. They found their object of worship. They found their worth in realizing God's worth. One of the, one of the places we've gone wrong inside the church is we say this phrase, man, you were so valuable, you were so valuable that God sent His Son for you. What makes something valuable? It's what someone is willing to pay for it. What makes you valuable is not in you. What makes you valuable is that God was willing to redeem you with the precious blood of a spotless Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in understanding that glory, I understand my worth. I, they found their ultimate and eternal treasure. It's for our good. Last thing I want you to see. God promises to glorify Himself in the church throughout all generations. Look back at the passage. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly. Some versions say exceedingly abundantly. That's a fun phrase. Exceedingly abundantly. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly. And He wants to glorify Himself. Where? In His church. Through His church, He's going to bring glory to His name. His plan for our church and every church is that we might glorify God. And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, in His church, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Listen to this. This is just a, an incredible thought. God promises to use a broken reflection of his perfect body that's us a broken reflection of his perfect body 
called the church to bring glory to himself and accomplish God's redemption plan, and the effects of God's redemption would bring glory to God in future generations to come, and that would echo out into eternity, and we get to live for that. Sign me up. We exist to glorify God. The church does. To bring God's holiness and glory to bear the weight of it to bear on those around us by declaring the gospel of Jesus and discipling those who trust Him. And God promises to do it through ragamuffins like us. Isn't that good news? A bunch of broken, messed up sinners like you and me that he has redeemed and is transforming he promises to bring himself glory through jars of clay filled with treasure sign me up God wants to raise up the next generation of worshipers who live for the glory of God among all the nations of the world. I don't know if you could see this from out there, but Edward Camden watched me have a little too much fun with my toy car this morning. I, um, I found this in one of the pews. Thursday night, we had our Child Development Center graduation. This, many of you were greeters, and we're so thankful you served and, and there were hundreds of people filling the sanctuary. There were 50 kids across this stage. To which I say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I walked through the sanctuary this morning and cleaned up Cheerios. And pew cards that have been Picassoed all over them. And I just thought to myself, praise God for Cheerios on the floor. I found this little car. And I just thought, praise God for a mama who brought a child to Seneca Baptist Church that we might love and disciple them. And help them love Jesus. Friday night we had the Seneca Classical Academy graduation and end of the year program. And there were 180 something students involved. This sanctuary was packed. And I just thought, praise God. That we get to be a part of God being glorified in His church in every generation, forever and ever. Good news, club? I could go on. And so as we disciple believers, God's glorified. As we declare the gospel, God is glorified. But pastor, what if they don't listen? That doesn't matter. God's going to receive glory whether they bow their knee and trust Jesus or they stiffen their neck and don't. God's going to be glorified. He will. 
Okay, so here's the so what. The so what of this. Okay, God promises to be glorified, right? God, uh, God's going to do it in such a way that, um, that, that He's going to use His church to bring Him glory. Now, my little daughter, Ella, she was one of the graduates from preschool on Thursday night. I can't wrap my brain around that. We've had three of ours walk across this stage as Child Development Center graduates, and I know there's some others in this room who have graduated some across this stage. And the whole time I just had to keep telling myself, pull it together, pull it together. So what? God promises to bring Himself glory. It's for our good, and He's going to use His church to do it. Here's the so what. Dream big. Don't fail at trying. Do hard things for the glory of God. The tragedy to God is not that we die young, but that we grow old and never live. Ella loves gymnastics. And so we bought her a balance beam. And, and, and my children, as they grow, they've enjoyed watching the Olympics, right? And in the Olympics, one of the things is the balance beam. So just imagine that you're watching the Olympics. And one of these ladies, these young ladies or men, gets on the balance beam and prepares to do their routine. And then they just do this number. And then they, what do they do? They, they get back up, and then they do their dismount. Just, just imagine. Just imagine that that would happen. They do their dismount. The judges look at each other and go, I don't even know what to do with that. Church family, that's been the church for far too long. We live and exist and survive rather than live lives for the glory of God, rather than risking it all to do something that lasts into eternity. Rather, rather than saying nothing else matters other than the next generation of people would learn to worship and glorify Jesus our Savior on this side of eternity. And we do that, and we hop down, we get into heaven, and we go like this, and we expect God to go, yeah! But if you read the book of Revelation, one of the sins listed in the book of Revelation of people that God will not allow into his heaven on the list of all the sins that you would expect to see is the sin of cowardice. 
And for far too long, the, the church, we have been cowards, fearful, existing. And it's time, church. You know what? As I, I, I talk about when I talk about the kingdom, living for the kingdom is living for something that can't fail. Living for the glory of God is being a part of something that you can't not succeed. God will be glorified. What if I do it wrong? He's going to be glorified. What if I do it right? He's going to be glorified. What if they reject me? He's going to be glorified. What if we botch it up completely? God is so big, so good, that He'll still be glorified. So this summer we're going to spend a lot of effort and some money trying to see God glorified in people and places that might be far from Him. I think I have some prayer prompts. Applewood Villas. We're going to do three block parties in a back, backyard Bible club at Applewood Villa Apartment Complex this summer. Why? Because there are people who don't know the Lord and we want them to. And that will bring God glory. Just in our evangelism, that will bring God glory. And us going and being lights in a dark place, that will bring God glory. Kids Camp or our VBS this year, June or July 10th through 13th, we're, we're going we're gonna to go all out. It's going to take more effort. Maybe some money. But it's for the glory of God. Centra Kid, which is the elementary camp, and Somersault, which is the youth camp. Why? For the glory of God. We want to see students and children know Jesus. Amen? We're praying for guests. If you're a guest here today, you now know why we exist. Salvations. We want to pray for salvations. Why? Because He can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think. How? According to the power at work within us. It's not, we're not, it's not our own strength. Isn't that good? He does it. Why? Because He, more than anybody, wants His name to be glorified. We want revival in our church, our county, state, and country. And we can see it. Why? Because God wants it an infinite amount of times more than we do. I don't think God's up in heaven going, sooner or later, sooner or later I'm going to do it. Just waiting for everything to be perfect. I think it's the other way around. Church, are y'all ready? Are y'all willing? Are you in? That's what I think he's waiting on. So as we close our service, we'll have a song maybe in a few minutes, but before that, I just want to invite you to come pray. Pray for these things. Maybe there are other things on your heart. Pray for them. And let's ask God 
to use us to bring glory to his great name. Father, some of us might need to ask your forgiveness because we have been living for anything other than glory. Father, my prayer is that today we would repent of anything that we've been living for that is not eternal or ultimate. And we would choose this day that from this day forward, according to the power at work within me, I'll live for your glory in your glory alone. In the church, and in every generation, forever and ever. And today, as we plead with you, might you grant us the requests of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.